Dear friend, let's discover more of who we are together. Love, Haley and Amanda. Hey, dear friends. Welcome to season four. This is our favorite interview. <laughs> this is our I say that every time. favorite season. Listen. And boy, is it seasoned. You see what I did there? Oh, it's seasoned the f- because this person works with food. Yeah. <laughs> and since we're in the fourth season, that means that we're seasoned individuals. And you'd think we'd get better at interviews. <laughs> Amanda. I, I really love this one. Maybe I'm. it's because I like the person so much. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking last night that we are kind of, um, I don't think fangirls is the right word, but we just think that this I person... I think I'm a fangirl. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because sometimes, um, love you, Brene Brown, but I make fun of her because she always says that she's like the f- a fangirl every time she, she has... She interviews someone. Yeah, but the truth is that you should be if you're interviewing <laughs> someone on your podcast. And that's really how we feel today. Like we won the lottery meeting this person and then having her sit down and talk to us. But you know what I do whenever this is how I know I really like Olivia. Tell me. <laughs> is whenever I first met her and I encountered Fount Borden Table, her her cafe restaurant business i root for her me too and i mean in all levels if that means i will like every picture she posts i will i I like saw this thing on instagram that was like to support uh an instagrammer or to make their post be seen you should save the photo send it and so i like save all her photos and send them because i want all people to know about her yeah and it comes from such a pure place like it's not anything strange it's because we had such a beautiful experience with her i want everyone to have one yeah and so i think that that actually kind of proves the point that when you have a really genuine experience you genuinely want to share it and support it and want other people to feel it yeah and and as you guys will see in the interview uh i i was aware of her from the wedding industry and then the bride that uh recently used her that i worked with was raving about her too to me whenever Mm. we would meet about floral so there's something about this woman what she's doing the heart behind it um that is really attractive and it really draws people in and so that made us want to interview her because she has this dedication to excellence and quality and beauty and memory and aesthetic <laughs> and experience all together it's really it's almost everything that we care about is all jumbled up into Olivia Yeah, and what she does and what she cares about and the experiences she's trying to create. And one reason why we really wanted to have her on at this time is because um, we really think that what happens around a table and over food and as we start to gather again, I mean, this these are the kind of intimate moments that 
really, I think, could be special for all of us. And nourishing for yes, all of us. very nourishing. And so at Fountain Board and Table, which we'll be posting about them all week and about Olivia Constance um, and her family, um, they, they specialize in grazing tables. And so they just make the most beautiful food platters and they just care so much about the quality and contributing to the food system. And, and you can actually order on their website. You don't have to live in Dallas, but she has a storefront as well. And she does events. Ugh. And I mean, it's gorgeous and it's special. It's not just, it's, it's like all five senses that will just impact but you. We, we get into her personal story, how she kind of became who she is, which I love. And also we talk about, you know, the price is right. We talk about, <laughs> we talk about a lot of interesting things. So, uh, we hope that this conversation inspires you, but before we jump in, let's do our pledge. <gasps> yes. Ready? I am. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United Mates in America, and rarely in public is where we stand, one friendship, under God, indivisible, live purdy, and just us for all. Now, Olivia, you need to learn this pledge. I thought you were going to say, now, Olivia purdy. <laughs> no. Olivia, learn this pledge. Because you're in. You're in. Y'all enjoy this episode with Olivia Constance of Fount Borden Table. Is it like a welcome, welcome, welcome? <laughs> well, here we are today with our 50 announcers voices on. We've got Olivia Constance. Genthi, yeah. She is so constant. It's Your my name? grandma's name. Is it Constance? Constance was my grandma's name, yeah. It's so pretty. Thank you. You're welcome. I like it. If so I had a daughter, I would name her Constance. Okay, because you have two boys, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Towns uh, and Eli. Towns is five and Eli is three now. We were debating in the car if you had one or three. <laughs> she thought you had three. I thought you had one. Yeah. Because I knew the name Towns because I thought that was such a cute name. Mm -hmm. Where did that name come from? A uh, he, Towns uh, Van Zant, which is like a big Texas like folk singer. Ooh, very, so um, very famous. Are you from Texas? Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Oh my gosh, my father's from Burning Ohio. River. Really? Oh my gosh, yes. We're all great. Oh. I love Ohio. I miss I, it a ton. I think of Drew, the Drew Carey show. Yeah. Ohio. People Ohio. will still like <laughs> sing Cleveland rocks. <laughs> they uh, yeah it's like not I mean it's kitschy for sure um but when he was big uh I remember I had like one of my first like bartending gigs and he would always come in and no matter if he bought like one beer or like a whole round for everybody he would like give he would pay in hundreds and then like the rest was like your tip so if you bought like one Budweiser he would like tip you in the rest of like the hundred and then like send people mm -hmm. like home and like a, like his limo if they needed like a ride or something like that it was very like I don't know, Cleveland cool. <laughs> like that, the old like Lincoln town car limo, you know? He was a super nice guy. That's very cool. I, I don't know much about Drew Carey. I but I'm glad he took over the prices right. Yeah. He made it great. I totally again. forgot about that. Yeah. The prices right. That's what I watched every time I was sick. Mine was Lord of the Rings. Oh no. Well that's cooler. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. You, can, <laughs> you can, you can like, you know, get in and out of it, and it's not, you know, you don't have to like pay attention to it. Like, I get the gist. <laughs> peril, peril, peril. <laughs> you know, and I redemption. Was, I was just screaming that they'd get the highest number on the wheel mm-hmm. when they spun it, <laughs> and like the vortex would suck them in every time it would spin the wheel. <laughs> I felt like I would have been good at Plinko. Plinko was like, yes. it was like totally up to chance. There's like very <laughs> oh little skill God. involved. <laughs> but if you do, you're like a god, you know? Yes. I mean, you could walk away with a camper. A camper. <laughs> you could walk the away with The people who could like um, predict the pricing of the things were the best because it was always <laughs> like, you know that they had spent years because there's people who like career do that, you know, that like practiced for it and then would go to the show no, they, I, they did like a whole documentary on it I don't know that. and then they would like yeah they would like get picked and then they like practiced for the games so you know that they were like in the grocery store like okay like oh $3.99 for like oh the Clorox or whatever that was at like the height of prices right though wow I don't think that people do that as much anymore I miss Bob Barker Bob Barker forget Wasn't about Cleveland you know, I really, I went to Columbus, Ohio, though, and mm-hmm. I stayed in the German district. Yeah. And I fell in love. I didn't, I was like, I'm not going to love Ohio. I loved Ohio. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, was German such a town, cute, yeah. cute, My sister lives, uh, like, off of High Street, like, just off of, outside of there, and she's, like, renovating a house um, there now that used to be an art gallery, but super cool. It's, like, very historic. And it's pretty young there because of the college, and there's mm-hmm. cute, like, small businesses because I think people have stayed after college yeah I was really surprised how much I loved it there's a lot of corporate business that drives Columbus now too there's like longer burger baskets <laughs> like I think Victoria's Secret's there like you know they've got like some big corporations that head out of it it's cool it like of course there's Ohio State University too but like it's interesting because there's a lot of big names so there's a lot of you know corporate travel and I think people are always really surprised by Columbus yeah. So would you consider yourself to be a city girl? <laughs> I grew up in the country, like super, super country. Like, you know, first kiss in like a cornfield sort of like, Aww. you know, country. Like I lived on like a county road, you know, there's like the, you know, a lot of like dirt roads. My parents owned a uh, car rental agency growing up and they we had, they had that business that was inside this like huge warehouse and they built our house in the back of it. Um, and I always wanted like, you know, I grew up with a lot of like Ashley's and Emily's and like all that. And here I am like Olivia and I live in a warehouse and like, it's such like a weird, like, I don't know, like a babysitter's club movie offshoot. And I was like, I just want to be like everyone else. And I wasn't, I always wanted the, like the white picket fence. And it was really interesting because I like had a little bit of both because I did that and then I moved to Cleveland when I was like 15. Wow. Okay, let's 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 talk about the story. Right? Is that what you're gonna say? What story? Her story. Yeah. About where she came from the whole nine yards. So I know you just gave us a little bit, but let's <laughs> let's hear more. We like this. Okay. So yeah, uh I don't know. I don't know. Where does one start? Where does one start? <laughs> I feel like unpacking I was born um, in Findlay, Ohio, Flag City, USA. Um, I Flag City. Fla- <laughs> Flag City, so weird. It's like, it is like a very, like, quintessential small, like, farm town. And my parents came from, like, those super 
quintessential, even smaller farm towns. My grandparents actually met mucking onions in a field when they were like 11, which I mean, is total child labor, you know, like (laughs) whatever it is. Um, And I don't know if you know anything about like mucking onions, but it's like boggy, you know, and it's all wet and they're like, you know, knee deep in, in muck or whatever. And it's super moldy. Um, so it was like not great, you know, for For kids kids. (laughs) or anyone really to farm like that, which has been like a dialogue that I've carried throughout like my work life of like why I think that it's important to do things, um, the way that we do. And even as simple as like, I mean, everybody eats so many onions. They're such like a staple. They're literally in everything, you know, and they're so cheap um, and the labor's terrible. But anyway, they met doing that. And then like most of my family's either like, you know, farmed, had farms or like did some sort of work associated with it. Or like um, I have an uncle who is a um, uh, like a I forget what you even call it. Like you rope cattle like you like. He's like a world championship too. I should know this, like but a like roper. a cattle, Rodeo. like a yeah. Rambler. I mean, it's kind of like that. Driver. Yeah, it, you like you no, you Rambler. like literally rope the cattle. Like it's yeah. like a barrel racing, the barrel race, racing. and they like race the barrels, and then like they have another one that ropes cattle. But yeah, it's, but he's like a world championship barrel racer. But I like grew up a lot of, around a lot of that, so it was like a lot of bare feet whatever Kroger feet Kroger. we had Myers <laughs> Myers feet. Myers Myers was it and your but your parents owned a car rental mm-hmm. place so they were entrepreneurs yes um I think that uh, it's interesting when you grow up um I you know there's always a dialogue of like oh I'm turning into my mother or like whatever mm-hmm. um which yeah, it's like that's like the general response, right? And I think that I've like fought that um, for so much. But I think that I saw like what my parents did, and I don't think it really resonated to, with me until maybe in the past year of like, or really when starting Fount of like my parents being like, this doesn't work for us. My my dad worked in a um, a Campbell soup factory when I was born, and he was like this just is not what we want to do. This isn't the life that we want to live. And he actually, he got a job on, um, or an offer for like a management position for like uh, the Honda um, factory line. And he was like the night before and his like sister had like gotten him hooked up with this job or whatever because they all worked for Whirlpool and I think he knew somebody. Um, And he like turned down the job last minute and he was like, if I take this job, I'm going to be here forever and we're going to be here forever and the kids are going to be here forever. And we just like, can't, I mean, it it really tore our families apart because they were like, is this is, this is not good enough for you. Like it's good enough for us. Like Mm. I just don't understand, you know, they really like kind of took offense to it, I think. And that's only like the side of the story that I know about it. Um, But that was like a definite, I think like jump off point to, how they ran our family and then I think that there's like of course like a thread to like how I run our family or Ryan and I run our family of like the things that we saw in our industry like this isn't good enough we have to like operate our family in a different way that works for us and so I grew up with both of my parents around all the time and they hustled like they ran that but they also sold like Santas at like you know like craft shows and things like that and like you know, knives or whatever that they could do to buy something cheaply and then sell it like a high volume. And it's 
looking back at that now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't imagine the incredible amount of like spiritual strength it takes to like wake up every day and be like, I don't know where we're getting money from, but like we have to, you know, we have to figure it out and we have to pull ourselves out of here. And they did like heroically did it at like the start of the dot-com boom and um, got really, really smart in investments. And then my mom moved to Cleveland and then we moved a year later after she had taken over like this assisted living and my parents own assisted livings now and like do a bunch of great work. And so it's really interesting to see them go from like not being able to afford a pair of socks Mm. to, and us being like super poor to, you know, them being able to provide so much to like people around them and us and my mom's my business partner in this. So it's, it's a really incredible journey in such a short amount of time. And I really think that like, I don't know, I think that motherhood can be like the most powerful thing that you can encounter in your life and, or any time that you have to like make a decision. Cause I really think that challenges are things that you don't have the ability to not encounter like that's a true challenge like when you are when you come against that and you have to like just do it and figure out how to do it you know mm-hmm. um I see that all the time in my career through um women that I've worked with that have been like back of house and like immigrants you know like they just have to make the decisions they have to do whatever they can and I think it's always been super inspiring and I think why I liked the back of the house so much so I was always front of the house um, and in bartending and in managing uh, in the beginning of my career. And I was just drawn to it so much because there's so much richness in, um, especially in like female f- heavy kitchens because they come from so many different places, have so many different stories. And you have to have some sort of toughness too that I think is really cool. And I think that we'll go there too. We'll be like, I th- I've never encountered a woman in the kitchen that hasn't just like, this is who I am. Who are you? You know, <laughs> are we cool? We're cool. Okay. Here's my life story. So you moved to Cleveland with your family mm-hmm. and then how did, like, when did you start to know that you were kind of drawn towards this industry? I mean, did, so you were in high school when you moved there. Yeah. Well, wait, are you the only child? I have an older brother and a younger sister. Okay. So you're... Your parents, okay, I, I just want to clarify something. Your parents lived, whenever you were born, you were in a small town with your other family, and then they decided to go off and do their own thing and move to Cleveland to pursue their business. My mom left ahead of us, so I don't, I don't actually know why she went ahead of us, but she, like, went there first, I think, to, like, figure it out mm-hmm. and to see if it was something that they could do long term or if it was a smart move to move all of us mm-hmm. um I think at first it was I mean to be honest it was probably just to make money you know yeah. like to figure out how to make that work working the two jobs in such different places and I mean it's Finley to Cleveland is maybe two and a half hours mm-hmm. so it wasn't like it felt very far at the time it felt like f- my mom was, did the same thing in Florida for a little bit too um and I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't think I ever got an answer to why well, she did that. But we, we just had this conversation about, and I want to go there for a second because you're, you're, this is part of your story that we're, we were talking about how when you are close to your family, it's like a double edged sword because you love them, you want to be with them, but you also have a way of how you want to live your life. 
that maybe doesn't align to the way they're pursuing life. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's not that it's bad and you're better, but it's different. Yeah. And it's that, it's that tension of like, do I go and do my thing and not be as connected to you physically or do I stay where you are and you know what I'm saying and and we always talk about that that knowing where to live and move is really difficult yeah and I think it's really interesting that your parents saw what their life could have been there and were like no yeah we can't oh go ahead we can't do that for our family our kids like we can't stay here and do that and I think that that takes a lot of courage from your parents to do that and I mean it just it says a lot about who your parents were that they were willing to go off and start something different it really it it broke as far as I know like hundreds of years of generational poverty and generational trauma you know Um, because with that poverty comes a lot of it too not to say that like you know their lives are traumatic or anything. It's just, there's a lot that comes with that. Um, especially when you go back like a little bit further and that's like, I mean, you are in the middle of nowhere, you know, farmhouse. I remember my dad, yeah, my my dad grew up without like, uh, he remembers like not having like a bathroom inside of the house, you know, like outhouse sort of situation, which it wasn't that long ago. So I, I think that it's easy to, to, compartmentalize things like that and then have this kind of like black and white picture view of how Mm -hmm. that is um and in a lot of ways too like my mom had a really traumatic um childhood and got had a really terrible car accident that killed her brother so she has this like trauma too that like in ways I see that I have to break I was just talking to one of the girls today in the shop about like there's I think that there's responsibilities that I feel sometimes to do things in a certain way knowing that like none of like the women in my family before me like have had a job they've never owned like their own businesses my my parents did that for the first time and kind of broke that but now there's like a responsibility for me to like keep that going Mm -hmm. and then if you know to my kids to show them like what that looks like and that's my real weight is to show them what it looks like to have a good work-life balance because in our industry it just doesn't exist It, it really doesn't and I you know we're in a labor shortage right now and that's some of the huge conversations that I'm having and the only people that we're bringing in are these women that have worked in really these toxic, you know, kitchen environments where they've had stuff thrown at them. Nobody takes them seriously. They're getting paid half of their male counterparts, you know, and that to me that when I came off of my pregnancy with Eli, I was working for a big hospitality company and that's what like the stuff I experienced was like this I can't do this. I can't do this with my family. Ryan can't do this. You know, our hours just don't sync up. Like, how do we do what we love and survive, you know? And not just survive, but thrive. Because we saw so many people doing it around us. So it was just a challenge that we had to, like, encounter and then create a um, solution for it. And we're still trying to figure it out. Still, We've just come out of a pandemic you know (laughs) like working through this whole thing and trying to be fluid enough to like just make it work but I mean I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't done this because I mean everybody a lot most of our uh, industry lost their jobs so you know how do you to then take care of a family would have been miserable we we are the bearers of our own destiny (laughs) forever now I guess so it's it's a great lesson for us that you to have, to have the freedom to create your future is like the most powerful thing. Yeah, I my my grandfather, he grew up in the Great Depression. He was like one of 
12 kids. <sighs> he was one that broke the poverty cycle in his family. He went and started his own app because he was a cook in the army and he was really good at, as a butcher in a grocery store. And he started his own grocery store, which turned into a chain of grocery stores wow. in West Texas. And, and, and it changed. So my father was the only child, but the life that he had from my grandparents changed his trajectory, which changed mine. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the other siblings that, that he, he had, they didn't have that same experience. And it's like what you're saying, it's, yeah. it's having that will or whatever it is that drive to be like, okay, this is what I know, but I'm going to try something different because I know yeah. this doesn't work for me and my family. Yeah. And that's, that's, cr- I mean, that's a really strong person. Yeah. It is. Well, and there's something that it's like that almost like X factor that you're kind of talking about that I was just thinking while you were speaking about your parents taking that leap and even you talking about, I'm not going to sacrifice this or compromise this, even though this is so hard and I've put myself in this position. And it's like, what is that thing that you're like, this I won't compromise. Yeah. And I was just, I was going to ask you what you thought that was for your parents, but now I want to know (laughs) what it is for you. Yeah. I mean, because there, there are things that we can, you know, toss aside and we can say, okay, you know, I can sacrifice this, but then there's like, there's this moment, there's this fork in the road where you're like, no, this, I won't compromise this. I, I think that, I guess like the a general would just be like the well-being of my family and we're going through this right now with like some mold remediation in the house and it's like we can't we cannot live like this like I feel like I've I've said that statement so many times not just in the past year but just in the past few weeks because there's just like these like we need some stability we need some structure we need some like you know steadfastness um for our family and a lot of that, uh, I mean, for, it's fortunately and unfortunately, like, comes down to me and our family, which is, like, it's so much to kind of deconstruct being, like, a f- like the female head of, like, a house and in, like, the business um, and to have to make those decisions like that and being like, this is the line and we're not going to cross it. And, but I think that, that that line is always moving. And I think that that's the most important part to me now is that like, okay, because I have had not always very high standards, you know what I mean? I can get through a lot because you're just trying to like swim through it, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely like once I see the kids not um, thriving, then it's like, Mm. I've got to figure it out. You know, we've got to put it together. I have to like go and paint the house in the middle of the night or, you know what I mean? Like clean it, figure it out. I've got to like come in here and sleep for three days. I have to like, I, we just have to do it. I have to figure out where it comes from. And the universe of, if I can like, from anything that I've learned in the past year is like every time that I thought that it wasn't going to work out, like the universe just made it happen, you know, like mm-hmm. it does like, it does like conspire for you, you know? And I think yeah. especially when you like are intentioned to the goodwill of like people around you totally. too, like it just, it just works, you know, like, um, God, the universe, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it is, um, is always like working for you. But sometimes it just takes a little, 
of like a a kick of the kick you know (laughs) (laughs) like of the kick hold you know or the the bike stand you know so so baby teenage olivia oh my god was such a punk she was she a punk i was such a punk she was, but like move. like a cool punk like Avril Lavigne. Um, <laughs> I was a scene kid. Like I like half Were of you? my head shaved. Yeah, I was a huge scene kid. I had like the Shannon Sossaman like Rules of Attraction haircut mm. and like yeah, definite like star like studded belt. Went to a lot of shows, but that's Cleveland in general is very like I don't know, kind of heavy like that. It's a big. Of course, that's just who I hung out with too. But but yeah, I moved out of my parents' house when I was. 16 or 17 and then did the did the same thing of like I've got to I've got to figure it out like this is not uh I don't think this is this is for me um for a very long time I told people that like I was going to college and I was like super smart but like the real story is like I totally it just did not work out for me um (laughs) and I they like put me in those like work study classes and stuff and even then I was like this is not where I should be I'm just not like challenge it just didn't work out I'm I'm probably fall like somewhere on the spectrum but like very not um diagnosed just because the way that my brain worked and the way that I went through school like just I just failed at it so terribly um and I made it out for sure but I did the last you know maybe like two semesters from like living in an apartment like 45 minutes away and working under the table at bars, which did not know how young I was. Um, and I am so thankful that they did not, you know, do worse to me when they found out oh <laughs> when gosh. I came of age and I'd been working for years um, oh God. at those places. But I was so thankful. And it really, like, that's what really turned me on to hospitality. And I walked into... Um, La Cave du Vin at the time, um, which turned out to be like one of like the top 50 bars in the States. And you, you walk down and it's under this, um, this place called the Grog Shop in, um, Cleveland Heights. And it's all lit by candles and it's very moody, very romantic. And this was 2003 at the time, maybe 2002, 2003, 2004, um, before craft beer was ever a thing and they were, they had craft beer, craft, you know, natural wine, you know, like, you know, cheese plates, you know, the, like the whole thing. And it was so romantic and that whole staff was so knowledgeable. Um, and they really took me under their wing and, uh, taught me a lot about, um, so you worked that sort of stuff. Yeah. I would pick up shifts. Um, and then, you know, I worked around like that neighborhood too. So it was like, that, that like, Le Cave du Vin was my in for everywhere else. Because it was higher end. It was, it's kind of like you had credentials. I, just, like, I don't know. Like, I just convinced them to be in, to, like, let me in and then, like, made friends with them. And then, um, I don't know. I was just so, like, kind of awestruck. And I've always been kind of older, um, you know, or, like, more mature. But I was just kind of awestruck at, like, the romanticism of that type of hospitality because they knew everybody's name that sat down. They knew what they drank. Like they were conductors. And I really feel like Midwest hospitality is different than a lot of places because they're so owner operated and it's a different, I don't know. It's just different. Um, and I, I really learned from like the best of the best on what it takes for like heartfelt service. So I skipped so much of 
the, and I've done volume Bud Light, Miller Light, you know, like pop in beer bottles and stuff like that. I did that much later in my career, but, um, so early on I learned, um, the, the, like the real romanticism of it. And I think that any of my friends that from that time that have been near here or like have seen it are like, Oh my God, (laughs) any of this, like, so it carries into like everything that I do now. Would you say, um, we listen to Brene Brown all the time and she talks about sliding door moments. Mm -hmm. Would you say that walking into that place and the way you felt and what you saw and experienced was like, a sliding door moment for absolutely. you like this makes mm-hmm. something kind of sparked inside of oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I could not and I think that that was also like I mean I went probably every night for like a week. What was it? I don't it was the feeling. I mean it was it was so it was like, you know, there was no light, no windows, no cell service or anything, like all lit by candles. Um you know, like attractive older guys bartending. It was just so like, and they made you feel so good too. You know what I mean? Like they were, you know, genuinely interested in like, you know, who I was and like conversation. And then that too, like that was the first time I saw like people like that would bartend that would be like, okay. And then they would get everybody at the bar in a conversation. And that was always something that I like tried to do in in like the rest of my career because if you can do that like your job's like good you know what I mean if you can connect people because you're connecting over the bar to each person individually and then if you can connect people outside of that like yeah I mean those are lifelong like friendships that I made from people who organized that too and it's the same thing like I've done you know first dates and you know uh all that other stuff so I think that I think that that's a really special and indefinite skill. You have to be very emotionally intuitive. Um, It is a lot of emotional labor, um, but they just did it so easy. So it was very, like, magical to me. It sounds magical. It sounds like why we love the jettison of the bar. We love it because it's one of those places where you're going to meet friends at that bar because Mm -hmm. of the way the whole environment is and the way the bartenders interact with you. You'd feel comfortable going by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really special. So, so you, you're working in the industry, you're in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. How do you get here to Dallas and start Fount? Uh, okay. So I was working at a, um, Italian restaurant, which actually was here for a little bit too, um, that was attached to the Ritz in Cleveland. And Ryan was working the front desk, uh, he was like the front desk manager at the Ritz in Cleveland. Bow, and he, trickle, I, <laughs> I smoked, we both smoked cigarettes at the time. Um, and he would like follow me out on my smoke breaks. And I had just Creep. gotten out of like a really long relationship. And I had like, I don't know, we just had like a little like chemistry. And we, you know, just had a few dates. And then he's like, I'm moving to Dallas. Do you want to come? And I oh, said, wow. yeah, I got nothing going on. Um, and I did. Oh. How and then we broke up <laughs> like uh, very shortly after we got here. Cause we were such different people. How old were you um, when you moved here? I was 23, 22, 23. Mm-hmm. That's a was, real like, shifty time. Yeah. Real shifty. Yeah, for sure. Um, we like moved in together and, um, his parents didn't know that we had moved together 
down here and they quickly found out and then came down and it was like this whole thing and then uh we broke up and he moved to Austin and I stayed here and I worked around and then I started a food truck and I sold that food truck and I went to Austin to celebrate and we like just ran into each other and I was I was picking up shifts at um the ginger man in Austin, cause I worked at the one up here mm-hmm. and the ginger man in Austin is like literally across the street from coal vines, which is where he worked. So it was just kind of like this very kismet Whoa. thing. And then we started dating and then I moved down there and we started a catering company and then we had our first son. Um, and at the time we were, Ryan left his job and I left my job and we started, um, native family. We were doing a lot of field cooking and butchering and, really opened the door for Fount um, because we were making charcuterie as a way to be sustainable Mm. um, in a lot of our field cooking and stuff. So we would kind of just take the, the extra stuff. And we were, we had a couple of restaurants that we were running inside of cocktail bars around town. So we would kind of like create the menus, literally build the kitchen, permit it, um, hire on the staff, train it. And then we would, you know, peace out and then kind of run commissaries from all of those restaurants. Um, but after we had towns, it was kind of like, okay, all of our friends are still in party mode down here. Like a lot of our friends back in Dallas are like starting to have kids too. We were the first. And then each one of them was like three months after that. So we had this like really cool group of hospitality people that were in the same stage of life as us, which I think made it completely, um, a different experience than I think that we would have had if we had not had that. So we moved back to Dallas. And whenever, okay, we, we, I think we should talk about our first experience with Fount because it's one of my favorite days to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Okay. Well, cause first off I had heard I'm nervous. about you. No, it's a really good story, but I had heard about you a lot because of the wedding industry. People, spoke very highly of your charcuterie displays and all that and I had seen pictures and I was like whoa this girl's amazing and then I did a wedding who used you as well and she the bride was so sweet and she was obsessed with you and your work and everything and I I didn't I, I didn't know that you had a, a storefront though at the time I thought you were just you know like a catering vendor type of thing mm-hmm. and then I saw when she posted her pictures from the wedding, she tagged you and I like saw the whole Instagram and saw the, that it was a storefront. And so snowpocalypse happened and she was stuck in her house. I I remember that. I was stuck in my house with my husband and we, we gratefully all had electricity and water and everything. But we were just, you know, it was the most miserable time for everybody. And so we, it was the day it was over and like everything was melting. And I called her and I said, I'm going to come pick you up and I'm going to take you somewhere that is going to feed your soul. And, And I don't know why. I just felt like now that I knew you had a storefront and I'd seen all your stuff, I was like, this is going to be a really fun thing to do after the snowpocalypse shut in. Yeah, and she had told me that it was going to feed my soul like that, but she told me I couldn't look 
I couldn't look <laughs> it up. And she yeah. said the name once, but it's like a pretty long name, Fount Board and Table. And mm-hmm. she said it really fast. And I was like, wait, what was that? And she was like, never mind. Don't look it up. <laughs> and so I had no idea. But also, <laughs> and then you, you were like, what should I wear? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, I mean, should I wear my snow boots? Should I wear workout <laughs> clothes? Like, should I wear a cute outfit? And I was like, you've been a shut-in for too long, Haley. <laughs> we were too excited about getting out in yeah. general. And that day was like amazing weather. Yeah. yeah. And then that day was it was like so 80. disorienting because yes. it was like, did this just happen? Yeah, because it was like 80 that day. Yeah. And super sunny. So I do want to say that when we showed up, it was like the beginning of this gorgeous day that like the universe just gave us. Mm-hmm. And we sat on your patio. It was like the sun was perfect on us. And then and then okay. <laughs> and then you guys like bring out you know, the waters with the cute dried orange or lemon slice in it or whatever it is. And then you bring out the board and the soup and the salad and the sand. We got everything because we were so excited. Mm -hmm. And we, it was like all of this combined, like the weather, the atmosphere, the, everything we got was like gorgeous. The salad had these beautiful blossoms all in it. And we were screaming. I mean, (laughs) Really, really. And it was, it's, we were kind of talking before that. It's almost like somehow you touch all five senses. Mm. And we, we also personally are very into like aesthetic, ambiance, beauty, memory, experience, all of that. So like we're, we're dinner party people. Yeah. And like, we're the people that go a little bit too extra on it because we care about the scent in the room, the music playing that we've curated very meticulously yeah because you're creating a feel like a feeling for somebody yes like a a, a whole atmosphere like even even like when I got to plan my wedding the only thing I I didn't even care about I mean I I just wanted to marry him but the only thing I cared about was like creating awesome ambiance because I care about details so uh, and her too so that being part of our identities then coming here and that day we just almost I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot. I know that sounds dramatic, but it was a lot to handle. It was overwhelming. Because when you go out, you don't expect to find that hospitality. And I, I'm sorry, or quality. <laughs> but I think that's so much a part of it. Like, I don't think, I think that there's so, such, <clears throat> uh, most times I find it hard for people to follow through. You know, like do the whole thing. Like if I see so many big hospitality groups, like I'm going to buy this very expensive plate because it's pretty, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, spend so much on this design or do whatever. And it just lacks this thing, you know what I mean? The 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 X factor of of, uh, whatever it is, the heart, you know? Um, And I, that's like really like the part that we try to hit on, I think the most, uh, is what we were doing in Austin when we would, you know, we would literally butcher this animal in a field at sunrise. Um, and we would invite people to come and do it with us. And we would do this beautiful thing. And we really believe in, you know, clean proteins. And we had, you know, relationships with our farmers. And it was just something so different. Um, and then it would get into a chafing dish. And then you're, like, trying to explain it to somebody. And they're like, I don't care. You know, I want this barbecue. And then you put so much of your life into it and your energy. And, um 
you know, especially when these, you know, couples would like be a part of the process and it was like then an offering to their family of something that they did, you know, together and the way that they provided for them. And, you know, that was like the real, I think, game changer for us and felt like we were doing really important work was that we were changing somebody's perspective of, of what it meant to consume proteins like that. Um, and, uh, or just like consumables in general, you know, whether, whether it's like veg even still, um, or produce. Um, but when it got into a chafing dish, it was just so heartbreaking that nobody saw it, nobody cared. And when we, when I really like revisited, um, after having Eli of being like that, we have to do, (laughs) we have to do something, you know, and then, um, Ryan had just left his job and we were like at this moment again, you know, of like, we, ha- we have to do something to make this work. And what is it? Um, that was, I, in Cleveland, um, uh, all of my friends went to CIA at the time, like Cleveland Institute of Art. And I've always been obsessed with like Dutch Baroque paintings. And I lived right by the Cleveland Museum of Art, which is my favorite place of all time. Um, if I could like literally, you know, go anywhere in the world. It's, it's always like my number one. Um, and that was always like, I kind of like wanted to mesh those two things. And so while I'm like, you know, yeah, if if I'm not like, I love cheese, like everybody likes cheese, you know what I mean? Like, um, and cheese isn't inherently like important to like the, the end product itself because there's so much more that kind of goes with it. And I think that bridging the gap of like, having something really romantic, having something really, um, impressive, um, so accessible to entertain with. And that is such like a connective piece, um, to entertaining, which I also feel is a lost art. Um, and so kind of being that like millennial Martha Stewart is like something that, you know, will kind of like bring up a little bit more now that we're kind of post COVID, um, and kind of teaching people how to do that well and how to do it importantly because I think that our age group too is left with the task of having really important conversations and um our there's things that we can do and that fountain can facilitate that just can't happen at like a four top at a restaurant you know that can't happen as organically and we try to do it here like as much as we can as organically as we can but what we do in the store I don't think will ever be as important as we what we do out of the store and in other people's homes so Mm. it's it's really cool to hear from you. And I got a little emotional there for a minute, like hearing you talk about it um, because I don't get to hear people talk about it like that or that it like connects in the way that we want it to. So what seems so effortlessly too, like we can just exist in here, which is very hard also because in the beginning it, it cannot be so financially successful because you're just trying to be yourself. You know, you're just trying to put yourself into a package. You do it as an artist, you know, you know, you do it as a writer, you do it in all these different, um, you know, medias of like, I just want to be seen. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. And anytime anybody comes in here or like into any like restaurant, that's what they're trying to do too. So I think that seeing the humanness in other people and like what they want and what's going to be nourishing for them is like the most important especially through COVID. We turned the menu so many different times being like, what is going to make me feel good? And that was like the garden sandwich and then those salads and then like the soup, you know, like what is going to make me feel like I'm being taken care of? What does my body need? What is going to, if I got something, what would make me feel like somebody loved me? (laughs) You know what I mean? If they gave this to me. That's really how it felt like Mm -hmm. that, you know, that experience we had where we were so separated, it was a scary time, all this stuff. 
for that to be the first experience we had out of that, we felt so taken care of and nourished. And, and it's, it's so, I mean, people might think it's food, but it's food is our, it's the necessity of life. And yeah. it's some, it's like this very deep bond that we have. And so I think the way that you've presented it and the way that you make people feel in here and, but it's so much more than that too. I don't, it's cause it's the details. It's the mm-hmm. presentation. It's, the kind what is it charles eames the details aren't details they make the design like sort of thing like it's nothing without like the small the small pieces of it you know the things that the things that you think that most people would overlook most people don't too you know what i mean like yeah and we're very hands-off when we're in here too like we don't like we don't table touch you know we don't like you know hey how's every you know like occasionally you know we might but for the most part we're very like here you go, experience it. But every time someone we don't explain anything, we were like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, we <laughs> don't explain something. it. You know what I mean? Like we're very kind of like. Mm-hmm. I think that that's there's so much. Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like we do it a lot with our tea service. Like it's we use so many incredible um, vendors, but it's kind of like that sort of Eastern beverage ritual. I don't think it's responsible for us to have a conversation about it sometimes. So we just don't have the conversation about it. And we're kind of like, I think, explore, play with it. Nothing is wrong. You know what I mean? Like, there's no wrong way to do this. Um, Play with it and then see if you like it and then form your own kind of opinions about it. Because I think that for a long time we got in this habit of like, it's one thing that I... I always, it's the example that I always use of like, we're never going to like make a dill foam or like the gastronomy thing. And then it's like, we did this and did this and this comes from here. And like, you can ask questions for sure, but like, we're never going to like hype ourselves up of like, this is what we made you, you know, make ourselves feel too important for it. It is what it is. You can enjoy it. And you don't really and it feel, I think to. it feels like it's yours if you yes. do it that way. And then we just kind of like hand it over and then you can, you know. Oh my God. But I think that's part of the reason why people feel so like alive and engaged whenever they get their order, you know, because you have to then explore. You're like, oh, my God, there's a hundred things on this board. Yeah, they're like layers. Yeah, and they all look gorgeous. Oh, wait, there's something under here. There's Mm -hmm. something under here. Hey, eat this this blossom with this cheese, Haley. Oh, my God, eat this kumquat with this. And then you're like exploring together this whole board. It's really a spectacular experience. It's it's an interesting um, dialogue to kind of go into of why that we don't kind of follow things up that way because we put so much time and effort into choosing the people that we work with and then having a personal relationship with them and then also like making sure that we have positive workmanship from all those vendors and they pay their people well and that they also, you know, have... Um, you know, traceability to them and that their farming practices are legit. And, you know, going back to like, I'm a Gene and Max in the field when they were 11, like that still happens now. So making sure that like we know where things are coming from and, um, you know, I, we're not contributing as much as we can because our food system is so incredibly messed up. Um, minimizing our negative impact in the food chain system, which we've seen 
just kind of fall apart in this past year. So we work with so many small vendors for the longest time we couldn't get soft cheeses and then everybody's soft cheeses went bad. And so it was like, you know, we couldn't get this, we couldn't get that. And you know, our, we have a, like a nut company that, um, employees like 99% of the employees are like Afghani women and they like pay che- the paychecks directly to them. And like, like there's like people that we have intentional partnerships with that we like couldn't get things from anymore and like have to switch things around and um for a long time we would just not there were things that we just wouldn't carry um because it was like a second best and we knew it wasn't like the right thing to do so we just cut it out completely um and those are hard decisions to make as like a business owner but I know that like the position that I'm in often with that too so we just try to do the best that we can and then treat each other well because that's having positive workmanship in here um, is like the number one. Like we hospitality, um, ser- good hospitality and good service is first having good service to each other. And that's something that we say all the time with our staff is like we good service to us means good service to them. So making sure that they, you know, are get what they need out of work and are inspired and have the ability to play, um, I think is the, the secret sauce for a little bit of what we do. Oh, my God. It's like I'm thinking, you know, we just described this meal and it feels like this little tiny bubble that we were living in and it was just for us. But the truth is that there's this whole like ripple effect that goes before it and continues. Mm -hmm. And I and I don't just mean, you know, the ripple effect of your farmers and the compromises that you're not willing to make mm-hmm. and the way that you treat each other and the time that you've put into your relationships, but also, yeah, like your grandparents and like that your whole existence and Ryan's existence has been this snowball of just picking up these small truths, you know, and, and now that's why that feeling happens because it's been, You've put so much into it. Yeah. Well, and I think that leads to, so what is your why behind this business and your personal why? Mm. I think that, um, I think that all of it really is just to be known, um, to be able to like create something that's finite and degradable and, um, it, sometimes it's consumed, sometimes it's not, you know, it could or could not be, but just kind of exists, exists on its own. Uh, I think that there's something really like beautiful in that, that, um, I can create something that I think is beautiful, that somebody else thinks is beautiful too, and that we can know each other through those things. Um, it's very like macro and I can go into like, you know, t- like my kids or my family or like, you we know, like to macro. be proud or whatever, you know, but I think that it really is. Um, one thing that I've like wanted to do throughout this process now is like create, um, and I tell people about this sometimes and they're like, oh my God, <laughs> like, yeah, it's so weird. We're here um, for it. Yes. It's to create this, um, uh, art installation where we put like a, we make like a 12 foot long table and it's like our, you know, grazing table and it's, you know, best of the best, but we also spore, the table underneath of it. And so we put these molds and stuff underneath and then we, 
you know, put the glass, the top on it. And then we have these candlesticks going through like the glass up. So it looks like if you were to come up to this table, you could sit down, but then we let it like degrade over time and then watch how things like decay and how, um, you know, things kind of, you know, degrade on their own. And then what kind of life comes out of that too, because there's all these crazy like molds that are like bright pink and yellow and green and all this stuff. And to see how life happens, whether, you participate in it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that also like, yeah, the, it's, it's finite. It's, it's consumable. It's, it's really no big deal. You know what I mean? But it's like the, the, I think the intention behind it that matters. And that's anytime you've been over to somebody's house, that's like it, you know what I mean? It's not about the food is like a vessel, you know what I mean? Just like the vessel to get there. It has nothing to do with, you know, what it, what it was made. So a lot of times you don't even remember that, you know? Um, it's how you made somebody feel. So yeah, I was just about to two things. One, we binge watched um, the Lost Kitchen um, mm-hmm. in in Maine with Erin French, and she does this toast every time right before the meal, and she goes on talking about how you know it's food that brought these people to this place, but that it's really about these memories that are going to happen and all the relationships that happened previously and that would happen that night. And secondly, it just popped in my head the quote by Maya Angelou that says that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but they will never forget the way you made them feel. Yeah. And so I hope that you, like, it, it means something that you were emotional when we shared that because that was no joke. Like, we had that experience. It made us feel a certain way, and we then carried it out into the world and then encountered people. Yeah. With that feeling. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's really powerful. It is. Yeah. And I think that that's, well, that's why you're on the podcast right now because (laughs) you're not a regular old human. Regular schmegular. Um, yeah, I think that like there, there's one quote that I love and I, it's a long one, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to, to repeat it, but the, the gist of it and the end of it is like, you just have like this one task and like one, one mouth to feel feed, you know? Um, that's like your one goal is just feed that one mouth, feed that one person, you know, and then you can change the world, you know? Um, we are so much more interconnected than we could have ever imagined. And I think that from this past year, we've seen that so much, like, you know, from March, 16th to the beginning of September it was just me in the building like open to close every day uh and that was so incredibly hard I'm still riding off of that I still haven't taken a break and I'm three three you know hairs past burnt out um but uh through that time you know we I think it became as much as I wanted to quit I think it became so apparent why I couldn't because there were Every day there was somebody that was coming to the door or putting a note in an order being like, you know, we, we did like COVID funerals. Like we, people would pick up these large boards for COVID funerals and like, you know, would just like ball, you know, like doctors and people who had cancer and like people were so overly emotional about having something that was impactful and made somebody feel like they were taken care of and people were sending them as gifts to their parents that they couldn't see. And like we, we became like this really weird and I never expected to, cause it's just a cheese board, you know, and I'm very thankful for it. And I'm very, 
um, touched by it. And I think that's why I felt like we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. And we still do at the time, but or at the time and then still do now. But um, to be able, I, I've never in my career had anybody write me one note like that, let alone I was getting them every day of these, these, this thankfulness. And it's probably the sign of the times too, of like where everybody was at kind of emotionally because we're so much more raw than we have been. Um, and we're so much more willing to share those things now, um, more than ever. Um, but I, I think that there is a, a total necessity for this sort of, um, you know, honest and casual hospitality with something that's visually valuable like that, you know? I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I think, you know, we love Priya Parker. She wrote The Art of Gathering. I love her. And she's also, she has a podcast, but she was just saying the other day, um, we have this amazing opportunity, this generation, this moment in time where we mm. can really think about how we want to re-enter uh, social gatherings yeah. and and to be intentional and throw out the things that were useless and throw out the things that didn't work. And this comes in business, but also in your social life and how you get together with friends. And, and I think that you're right. Like we, after this year, we feel, I feel like I want very intentional moments with people. Yeah. I don't want to get together with a random group of folks and mingle my way through it. Like I want to be with my people and be taking care of them because yeah. that's another thing I love about hosting. I love to take care of people. Yeah. You do too. Like whenever you do stuff at your house, like you love to take care of people and, and it's with food, but it's with your hospitality. And I think, I think we have a really unique opportunity to rethink it. Yeah. And have these conversations to do that. You have, it takes so much self work though, too, to like, you know, not to try to be, not to try to emulate something, not try to be something that you saw that was cool somewhere else. And, but that's a lot of restaurants now is they'll go and they'll yeah. like these big groups will see something that they think is cooler that can make a lot of money. And then they'll, so the, they'll do the whole thing, you know, for a while it was like the light up eat sign and like the, you know, you yeah. like seeing like, it's like the, the chairs are all the same thing. Um, and it works for a while, but it of course misses that, like that follow through. Um, but I, almost every time that I, you know, do a class or talk or, um, really like have like a conversation about what we do. I always like tell people that I'm like, I'm a fats person. Like I am like that, like that part, like the fattiness of the conversation, you know, like that's where like the real stuff is. Um, and I think that's, that's where we try to like live, um, and try to like get to in a lot of that, like, uh, I, I, that's where all, like all the flavor is kind of like held, um, in a lot of that. Metaphorically so. and Metaphorically literally. And literally. <laughs> I'm a very and big fatty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to, I mean, I want to ask you to do a part two of this conversation because I think it would be really interesting to like, cause this, we, we stayed more in a, in an area about something I like a lot, but I think it would be really interesting to dive into like how you balance being a mom and a business owner, how you balance being a wife and a business owner, like how you nourish nourish yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big one we wanted to get to. Would you do a second one? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Because it's, it's really beautiful. I mean like you're what you're doing and how you're doing it so intentionally. I think like what you were just saying, it, it, you, it, people have to, 
get in touch with themselves to have the type of conversations to push themselves forward and it's so easy these days to numb it out it's mm-hmm. so easy these days to to follow what other people are doing because you don't have to free think yourself for sure and so it's really it's special that you're doing it and I think that's what is so people are so drawn to you for thank you for seeing me of course we see that you. me that means so much that's like all you ever want yeah you know somebody to somebody to do you know well, and I think it's like what you're not were just saying. the face value of it, you know, yes. not yes. just the Instagram sort of like prettiness um, of things. I actually love that. I didn't see any of that beforehand because how you said earlier, we just for our why that you just want to be known. And so you the food is the vehicle for you to yeah. be known. But also like I felt like someone who knew me forever was serving me that day and also just for the listeners we've been a hundred times since then (laughs) (laughs) and every time we walk out we just say see you tomorrow it was like and I I I want to like back all of those wonderful words um that you said about us um because I don't think that I've ever let you know that like that day that you guys came was so bad for me and you guys were so hype and so like (laughs) we were so oh my oh you guys were like all over to the point where like I thought that like one of my friends like had let you guys know that I like sent you guys to like hype up the whole thing and it really like changed my outlook because it's I mean you we're riding waves over here you know um but for somebody to be like excited and to like receive the intention that you put out there is like really uh it's really affirmative you know affirming so uh I it took me to like a whole nother level and I really appreciate it I think that's like what you don't you don't know like how how you know just like one kind word or like yeah an action can like really change well and we for people we say this all the time that one uh, we talk about our whys a lot and the, the one of the things is that we both to our core want to be the type of people who whoever we touch or touches us in a day is leaving a better person in some way and it doesn't mean better I, I don't mean better person like we've motivated you to do something but like at least we maybe we've put I don't know it's like we've shown you that there is good in the world yeah. and we we have a little bit of goodness and we see a little bit of goodness in you. Mm-hmm. And so we can both proceed out into the world sharing that little bit of goodness with, with, yeah. with other people. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's special that you said that about us too. Special that you said that about us too because that you made us feel so good. We couldn't even, I mean, we couldn't even hide it that day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. And look where we're at now. I know. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it too. Everybody. Go visit Fountain Boarding Table right now. (laughs) Well, we definitely have to do a part two of that because we didn't even come close to the things we originally wanted to talk to her about. 
I know. We had like a bunch of ideas in mind, but her story was too interesting. And just sitting in Fount Borden table oh, after close and she had, it was like lighting you incense. You can't imagine. The ambiance in there was so calming. Mm-mm. We hope that came across in the episode. I think it did. We couldn't be in a rush to get to all these questions, even if we wanted to. No, 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 no. Settling in on, on her story. And um, her business's story was so interesting. We're going to do a part two with her for sure. And I feel like the part two is really where we're going to kind of dig into her wisdom from all of her experience. Even though we got a lot of it yeah, this time. And totally. And how she became. Mm-hmm. Well, she's becoming like we all are. Aww. I just, I loved it. It, it th- This this conversation inspired me so much. Yeah, me too. And she is just a very inspirational character. I love her heart. I love who she is. We hope you guys felt the same way about Olivia and that, um, you know, you'll support her, but also maybe she inspires you to, to do what you love. Yeah. And be your true authentic self. I, I know that our like kind of motto for dear friend is to live purdy. No, <laughs> that's our secondary motto <laughs> is to become more of who we are. And I just feel like she is someone that is so authentic in herself. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that she knows everything or doesn't know everywhere she's going. She kind of also feels like she's standing at the beginning of her journey. Yeah. But just so open to discovering more of who she is while staying committed really to what she already knows is her authentic self well thank you guys for tuning in this week again we hope this was super inspirational to start off your week or whenever you're listening to it and to start off our second year as dear friend podcast this is our first episode of our second year so y'all stay living purdy out there and we'll see you next week (laughs) 